please pray with me? Word of God, speak in us. Lord Jesus, come, make your dwelling with us. Help us to receive you this day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Those of y'all who have been around for a while would have heard me preach a sermon on this gospel story last time it came around three years ago, uh, which which I'm sure you remember with perfect precision. (laughs) But just as a brief recap, the main point was that in this encounter between Mary and Elizabeth, we see the prophetic announcement of a divine revolution. Jesus hasn't even been born yet, but already... His arrival is changing everything. Suddenly the real center of world events is not in Rome. It's not in Persia or China. The political and religious action isn't happening in Jerusalem at the temple or at Herod's palace. No, it's in a town in the hill country of Judea. The true movers and shakers are not the wealthy or the powerful or the educated or the elite, whatever they may think but a couple of apparently ordinary women in in an apparently ordinary home. And it isn't the priests or the teachers of the law who first proclaim this prophetic message. The scene is set in a priest's house, but he's been struck dumb through disbelief. He'll get a chance to sing later. But the first person we hear singing is a young mother. And it's not only a social and political and religious revolution Mary sings about the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, his redemption of Israel. She finds herself standing at the pivot point around which history turns. She sees the great salvation story coming to its climax. Remember the first woman, Eve, turned away from God and heard an oracle of judgment. Your pain will be multiplied in childbearing. But today Mary hears that curse reversed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In this seemingly ordinary household scene, we catch our first glimpse of a revolution that fundamentally remakes and reinterprets the entire course of human history. God is turning the world upside down. Or perhaps we should say, he's taking a disordered world and turning it right side up. That's a message I'm still excited about. But as tremendous as this prophetic revelation is, there's still more to be said about this passage. Because in the encounter between Mary and Elizabeth and in Mary's song of praise, that supernatural revolution, that divine reordering of the world and human history resonates with and reflects an equally profound interior transformation. And that's what I want us to explore and press deeper into this morning. How God is overturning and reordering and setting things right, not just out there, but also in here. Of course, for both these women, there's a literal physical transformation underway. Both of them bear new life in their womb for the first time. We often talk as though every baby is a miracle. And for the record, I think that's right. 
God uses human vessels to create new bearers of his own divine image. That's amazing. If you don't think that's amazing, I don't know what to tell you. But these cousins have truly had their world broken open by the miraculous. Elizabeth, who was unable to conceive throughout her fertile years, now in old age finds herself six months pregnant. And Mary, the young woman who has never known a man in her virginity, has conceived through the divine work of the Holy Spirit. Both women's lives have taken a radical turn. They're literally being transformed from the inside out. Their bodies are reordering themselves to welcome and nurture new life. Everything is different now. But that transformation is not just physical, and that's the point. It isn't just emotional or social, as Elizabeth sheds the shame that childlessness brings in a first-century culture, as Mary faces the potential shame that her society might bring to an unwed mother. That doesn't fully encompass the change because these physical and relational and social changes bear witness to a deeper supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. What does scripture say? When Elizabeth first heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, if you recall the story at the beginning of Luke's sequel, The Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit will fall on Jesus' disciples. They begin to proclaim the good news. They're given words to speak. It's not an accident that Mary is also present in that upper room because there's a link between these opening sequences of the two works. Here already we have a foretaste and a preliminary glimpse of that first Pentecost. The great 8th century biblical interpreter, the Venerable Bede, says that Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry because she can't hold herself in. She can't speak moderately. Being full of the Holy Spirit, she was on fire, he says. But notice how the Holy Spirit arrives. She hears Mary's word, and her unborn son leaps in response. Earlier in the same chapter, the angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah that their son John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And now we're seeing that in action. In a sense, Elizabeth receives this gift through her child. St. Ephraim the Syrian says, the infant of the barren woman exalted before the infant of the virgin. He sought out his mother's tongue and desired to pronounce a prophecy concerning the Lord. Elizabeth gives voice to John's wordless response. But at the same time, notice she doesn't just report her son's response. She also interprets it. Luke tells us when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. But Elizabeth tells Mary, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. She's interpreting. Bearing the prophet within her, Elizabeth also truly participates in this prophetic gift. As mother of the forerunner, she recognizes and names and speaks blessing over the mother of the Lord. She herself is filled and set aflame with the Holy Spirit. 
And don't we see much the same thing happening to Mary? Blessed are you among women, Elizabeth says, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Because just as Solomon's temple was consecrated when it was filled with the cloud of God's glory, so also Mary is inwardly transfigured when the Holy Spirit overshadows her, when God the Word takes flesh within and through her own flesh. Divine life is hidden and quickens in her body. She breaks forth into this triumphant magnificat, her song of exultant praise, because the word growing silently within her inspires her song. And here again we see a kind of revolution, a reversal of the natural order of things, at least as we know it. These mothers who will someday teach their children how to speak are first taught through those same children how to speak supernatural and prophetic words of joy. And here we begin to see what makes this interior transformation possible. It's humility. Humility to accept that great reversal, to receive life from the infants who rely on their mothers to sustain them in life. Humility for Elizabeth to invert the social order and give way to her younger relative Mary, to recognize that her greatest honor comes in showing this young woman honor. Why is this granted to me, she says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Humility for Mary. Through utter surrender to the Lord's will to discover that her greatest exaltation comes in embracing lowliness. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He's regarded and looked with favor upon my lowliness, she says. It's in making herself small, making herself a servant, lifting up the Lord, that she finds herself lifted up. Behold, all generations will call me blessed. Elizabeth has already started calling her blessed. But all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. It's in glorifying God that she is glorified. When Mary sings, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. One interpretation is that when the moment comes that the proud imagine their triumph, God breaks through and shatters their power and displaces them by exalting the lowly. That's a good interpretation. I think that's right. But at another level, We can also read it as saying that in their innermost thoughts, within their heart of hearts, the proud are already scattered. They're unable to assemble the pieces to truly imagine God's reordering of the world. Because they've tried to place themselves at the center, their thoughts are disordered. What makes interior transformation possible is first, humility. Second, Trust. Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. But here's the third blessing she speaks. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. In chapter 11, Luke reports that many years later, a woman will be listening to Jesus preach 
And she'll shout out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. And Jesus is going to answer, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What I want to suggest is that we already see that movement in Elizabeth's words here at the beginning of the story. Where Zachariah's response to the angel's message gives voice to doubt, Mary's answer lands in a place of trust. Let it be to me according to your word. Do what you've promised. And in her joyful response to this prophetic confirmation in Elizabeth's words, Mary reiterates and reaffirms that act of trust. Notice all the verbs here. They're not future tense. He that is mighty has done great things for me. Not just will do. That's true for sure. Has done. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and exalted the humble. He has brought down the mighty and filled the hungry. Mary here interprets her story through the lens of Israel's story, or rather God's story in the midst of his people, Israel. And she sees that story being fulfilled and coming to completion in what God is doing here and now through Elizabeth, through her, through the Holy Spirit's work in her womb. God isn't just fulfilling his word to Mary, but to all his people. The seed of Abraham has become the fruit of Mary's womb. And here, once again, this larger scope is captured prophetically in Elizabeth's words. You may not have noticed this. I did not until it was pointed out to me. But there's a subtle shift in that third blessing from second person pronouns to third. Blessed are you among women, but blessed is she who believed. Well, why is that? Who is she? Obviously Mary, but not only Mary. Mary is uniquely blessed among women through the fruit of her womb, but the blessing isn't just for her. It spills over. Blessed is she also means blessed is Elizabeth who welcomes her with humble faith. Blessed is the church that follows in her footsteps. Blessed is every soul that responds with humble trust that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Because that's how transformation comes. I think we tend to set interior and exterior transformation against one another. Either I retreat into myself to seek God's presence, or I step out into the world to make a difference in his name. Because I can't do multiple things at a time. We imagine a tug of war. We see it as a kind of competition. I suspect mostly because we're among the proud, and so all we can see is our own capacities and limitations. But humble trust recognizes, no, this is a false dichotomy. The great Russian monk, St. Seraphim of Sarov, once said, the true aim of our Christian life consists of the acquisition of the Spirit of God. But he also famously said, acquire the Spirit of peace and a thousand souls around you will be saved. Because the blessing spills over. The Holy Spirit won't be shut in. Elizabeth has to shout. Mary's joy demands that she raise her voice in song. Or in other words, divine revolution within a person's soul and life 
is inseparable from divine revolution and restoration in the world. Quote Joel Green's commentary, it is by means of God looking with favor on the lowliness of his servant, Mary, that he has helped his servant, Israel. They're the same thing. The humility and trust that opens our hearts to divine action and renovation and renewal is the same humility and trust that allows us to see the Holy Spirit at work around us, to become participants, not in our own projects or well-intentioned agendas, but in the true transformation of human history, the reversal of the curse, the announcement of blessing through Jesus the King. I love the way Archbishop Rowan Williams once put this. He says, we are led by faith to live as if the world were always on the edge of some total revolution, pregnant with a different kind of life, And we were always trying to catch the blinding momentary light of its changing. Mary knows, although she's never even felt her baby move yet. A secret hidden life has made its home in her innermost self and everything is different now. Everything is being made new. Brothers and sisters, as we reach the end of Advent and stand with Mary, with Elizabeth and John the Baptist, on the threshold of Jesus' arrival, let us make ready our own hearts to receive him with humble trust. May his Holy Spirit come upon us afresh to accomplish his work of transformation in us and to proclaim his word through us. May our voices join with Mary's. May her joyful song of praise become our own. That We could sing, he that is mighty has done great things in us, and holy is his name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.